0: Raka, you wanna kick us off?
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Daily Objective, the show where we talk about things and we try to be objective about it. I am Raka, you probably know by now, the magnanimous host, the the man of charisma, straight the man who has often been called the last of the Greeks, and you're gonna see why. Nikos, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, So today we're gonna be talking about resentment, gossip outrage and pizza did i did i have those three down which, well was it? two out of three that's that's a good start so the, three idea ain't was, Go ahead.
0: the idea was we somehow relate them to cancel culture and but after we came up with the topic there was this piece on 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 the news which was i mean we're kind of used to depressing stories but i think that's that's like a category of its own. So I don't know if you've heard about it, but the Washington Post decided to run a 3,000 word story about a woman who is not even famous. So it's not a celebrity. So it's not that we kind of had to know about this. So here's what happened. There was a Halloween party in 2018. So three years ago. And she saw that with something like a blackface, but this didn't have a racist kind of uh, intention. She wanted to make fun of Megan Kelly. So it was, let's say from a progressive premise. And then some people told her, you know what, that's not really cool what you did. So she left the party embarrassed. Apparently she was in tears. And then we learned that she went to therapy because she considered this a traumatic moment. But for some reason, three years later, the Washington Post re- decides to run this story and at least from what we can find from Twitter, this woman is uh, fired from her job. And it's one of these things that kind of make you think. And there's a line by Ayn Rand coming back to my mind every day these days, which is, brothers, you've asked for it. Like, all this is predictable. But specifically for this story, what came to my mind was a line from a line from Nietzsche. And it's from Zarathustra. It's a very short line. I'm going to read it to you, and that can kind of kick off our discussion. So it's on chapter two, and he says, quote, But thus I counsel you, my friends, mistrust all in whom the impulse to punish is powerful. There are people of a low sort of stock. The hangmen and the bloodhound look out of their faces. Mistrust all who talk much of their justice. Verily, Their source lack more than honey. And when they call themselves the good and the just, do not forget that they would be Pharisees if only they had power. Now, as objectivists, we know that justice is very important. But what I see here is something else. This is not about justice. This is this urge to punish. This is, is this urge to humiliate. And no matter what we think about politics, I think you have to be a very specific kind of really bad person to do something like that to someone. So why do you think that this kind of behavior that we would consider on a personal circle as very, very bad, since when has it become like an overflowing phenomenon in the public sphere? Why is this a thing?
1: Why is what a thing?
0: this urge to punish, this urge to to make sure that every single thing of bad taste, every deviation from the line, now needs to be exposed in the open. It's, yeah.
1: So, I mean, I think what we see over time is that uh, consistency wins out. So, you know, racism is something that should be identified and eliminated when possible. But the issue here is that uh, racism is basically held in a vacuum as the one moral um, item that anyone is permitted to feel strongly about. If you ask any thinker in contemporary life, uh, from a professor to a man on the street, ask anyone, what is morality? They'll probably say, either they'll say it comes from God, or they'll say, eh, it's just kind of something we agree to so we can live on the same, in the same square mile without stealing and killing each other. And then you say, okay, but what if someone's racist? Racist? Where, where, where? I'll find them, I'll kill them. It's the one thing we're allowed to have certainty about. And this I think uh, was done by thinkers, by intellectuals, by people who knew what they were doing. They were, they waged war against reason. They went to great lengths to convince students and the public by extension that moral certainty is impossible. Like all certainty is impossible but they chose this specific legitimate cause, which is um, eliminating racism, and they made it the one item, and they monopolized it. In the same way you could say religion monopolizes morality, mor- monopolizes spirituality and elation, the postmodernists, the collectivists, they have, modern, they have monopolized uh, being against racism. So if you ever stand up to what is being done, Uh, in the name of fighting racism, whoa, does that mean, so you're racist? Is that what you're saying? And you can see that everywhere. When it comes to this Washington Post um, throwing of someone under the bus, which is my understanding of what took place, a private citizen, someone who was not even a public figure, if I understand, was kind of minding her own business and was thrown under the bus, if if I picked up what exactly the story is. But in any case, there's, I mean, there's two there's two things that I see there. One is the issue of mob justice, which is, a, which is never the way. Mob justice, the people need to calm down and be rational, and then everyone needs to have their, their their day in court, so to speak, both literal and sort of metaphorical if we're dealing with public relations. People need to relax and be calm and rational. The mob mustn't be put in charge of somebody's verdict. And the other issue is just what I said, that racism is seen as this standalone item in a vacuum that everyone needs to rally around without putting it in a hierarchy of ethics, a hierarchy of how does this relate? If we're not for individualism, we're just anti-racism. So we're going to turn into cannibals. We're just going to take turns throwing each other under the bus and, and uh, digging up dirt on one another. And that is just no way to live.
0: Right. And the reason I use the term gossip in the title is I have, I have spent some part of my life in, in a small village in, in rural Greece, in Crete, which is a place I really love. And by the way, if I get cancelled, I'm off to there. So if people think that by cancelling me, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in this. Uh, no, it's, I have a plan B. So, you know, go, go ahead. But here's the mm-hmm. thing. The thing we saw in these small rural societies is that gossip operated as a control mechanism and also operated as, in a way, as an egalitarian, in a bad way, tool. And I don't know if you have watched the film Malena with uh, Monica Bellucci. Apparently the new generation doesn't know Monica Bellucci, as I realized in a seminar not far ago, not far not, not, not. But my generation, she was considered the most beautiful woman in the world, and she actually is. Anyway, so here's a story. Malena is a very, very beautiful woman in the Second World War, Italy, uh, in, in a small village. And her husband is away on, in war, and the whole village really hates her because they feel threatened. She's so beautiful, and everyone is in love with her, so everyone else feels threatened. And what they do is they start to, they start to undermine her via gossips, like, oh, she's the one who did this, she's the one who did this. And the culmination of the film at some point, she's going through a public humiliation where they almost lynch her. And that's why I thought that the there it's a bit like with the internet, the whole world is now a village. And these very low instincts, these instincts against people who, who are doing something, or against people who 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 and, and another example comes to mind. Do you remember that scientist who was wearing a silly shirt? And he was the guy who managed to send a robot attach itself in a comet. Okay, he didn't do it alone, but he was part of this achievement. And what we were talking the, the the day after that, he he was wearing a very offensive shirt. And someone remembered it yesterday, and that person said, "That's when I realized that things would go down here." And unfortunately, this this scientist had to you know to 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 apologize in tears so in my mind there is something anti achievement in this culture there's something that says we're not here to create we're here to pull down we're not here to come up with something new we're here to tear up status we're not here to do heroic endeavors and one day we're going to be up in granite but we are to to pull down people so do you so am i am i paranoid here or is this like a light a light culture like a light motif in our culture
1: this idea of pulling people down you're not paranoid you're only scratching the surface you should be freaked out no listen i mean i i do think nihilism is at the sort of root of all of this and it is what it all amounts to but kind of on the way to that destruction you do have people who are speaking in sort of individualistic language so they're Anytime somebody's wrong, here's a useful exercise look for the kernel of truth because pure lies and pure unreason and pure nihilism cannot be sold and it cannot even really, I think, even be held uh, consistently. Um, So, when the thing, the, the spaceship was landed on the meteor or whatever that was, and the guy was wearing a shirt with like girls wearing bikinis on his shirt and he came under fire. In a certain respect, you can understand the outrage was basically trying to say there are things more important than putting spaceships on meteors. There is dignity, there is rights, there is, you know, political equality or whatever kind of equality, individualism, sort of, like that women should be treated as people is sort of what I think people were saying. So kind of like, don't worry about outer space, let's fix things down here. That's sort of how that could be looked at favorably, but what does it actually amount to? Collectivism, knocking down of achievement, dropping context, uh, uh, cannibalistically throwing this poor guy, this scientist into the soup to cook and eat him. But uh, because individualism is not held explicitly with a correlating philosophy, what actually did we end up with in that instance? We had people speaking in the name of the collective, saying this scientist did a great thing for humanity he put a spaceship on 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 the meteor to hell with women's equality and all that stuff Uh, why are you so selfish you one woman over there complaining think of the greater good you had collectivists sticking up for this man in in collectivistic terms and sort of alleged individualists criticizing him saying he should be more sensitive to the dignity and the rights of individuals so this is why philosophy is so important when unpacking these issues, because you can see how the egalitarians, they latch, they latch on to people's values. They know people are sort of implicitly individualistic when they pursue the good life. They know that, and they attach to that, and they've attached themselves to the civil rights movement, and then the civil rights cause, and now they're on a mission to find racism wherever it may or may not exist, and to, and if somebody's life is ruined, because of a costume they wore to a party, well, so what? I mean, this is, uh, it's sort of for the greater good as well as for like the good of the sort of archetypical uh, minority individual who doesn't need to live in a world full of minstrel show blackface.
0: But I'm gonna push you a bit on this one because I think you're cutting them too much slack. So there's no, I don't think it's collectivistic to say, look, this was a man of achievement. This man did something which is difficult, not only his man, his man and his team, right? And, and again, this is what I don't like in this culture of outrage. Outrage is easy. Getting pissed off is easy. And actually, I think it's even bad for the person who is in this perpetual stage of rage. Now, someone could say, we are also in a perpetual state of rage with these people. And I recognize this to myself, and that is a problem. But it looks like it's the currency today. So Don Watkins posted something very interesting on Twitter who said that social media make it almost necessary to create some noise to get attention. So is there maybe, is there is there a, because on the one hand, I don't want to, to abandon the battlefield. On the other way, unless you're like, a, I don't know, like a, a person who, who can, who of like black belt in meditation, whatever, you will get enraged. So is there a way to be active and participant in the battle of ideas nowadays without having this negativity, without adopting this worldview of perpetual rage, even if it's perpetual rage in the cause of justice? So I'm very angry because I want to support this scientist. I'm very angry because this poor woman lost her job by people who are, in my opinion, very bad people. I don't want to cut them the slack that they want to fight racism. There's no way that they can't find a way to find racism rather than go back three years ago to a party on something and on someone who they know did not have bad intentions.
1: Yeah, I mean it is very difficult to engage in, in this controversy without becoming outraged and losing your cool and I'm not cutting slack, I, I do think these people are destructive and very ugly, but I'm, I'm saying here's a useful exercise, let's trace back what they're saying to it's to sort of the value that they're latching themselves onto, which is, you know, anti racism, which is sort of implicitly individualistic, which is implicitly, you know, pro life in the best sense of the phrase. So um, I'm saying we can we can try to trace it back to what it is that they're doing to understand how this happened. Um, I do think that rage is a symptom. It's a consequence. It is not the primary. It's what happens when you don't have reason as your guide, when you don't have your own personal values really, really in the driver's seat. You end up losing your cool. You end up frustrated and angry. So uh, typically, that's uh, how I would look at the outrage mob.
0: Right. And to, to since we started with a quote, I'll finish it off with a quote, which is, a quote that my friend William Costello uses quite often. It's by Leonard Roosevelt and says, small minds talk about people, average minds talk about events, and great minds talk about ideas. And in this gossip culture, I see a lot of the first part, the, the, this, the part where we talk about people, what did this person do? What did that person do? And again, it brings to my mind the parochial villas. And it's interesting going back to Atlas Rock, for example. If you think about James Taggart, he talks all the time about his whole life is like a puzzle of people. And at some point, and it's kind of embarrassing because he, he has just woken up by the side of that girl. Apparently, they had whatever kind of horrible sex James Taggart would have. And he wakes up next morning. And he explains here, this is how I'm going to play this this businessman. And this other guy doesn't know that I have this hanging over him. and So... <sighs> We, li- we have everything at the tip of a finger away in our phone. Like we live maybe in the best window of human history from SAS. Why do we still feel this need for gossip? This need for what did that person do and did what person do? Specifically when we are in times of crisis, in times where we all need to be our best out, in times where, you know, the economy is tanking, so we should be thinking very clearly, what are my next steps? And you see that instead of this, the, the wider atmosphere is again this atmosphere that we call the gossip and kind of perpetual ad- outrage thing. So leave us with a final thought that's gonna help us ha- for the next 24 hours not to be on that mindset.
1: Fascinating James
0: question. Taggart. That's a good way to go through life.
1: That's right. Don't be James Taggart. Uh, but more importantly, do be. Dagny Taggart or John Galt, etc. I've always thought that quote you mentioned was by Eleanor Roosevelt, so I'm happy to hear I no longer need to uh, uh, give her credit for that. Oh, about... no, it
0: is. It is. It's, it's just, oh, it is. I, I uh, mentioned that a friend of mine kind of brought to my attention. But yeah, I've heard the quote, right. but I didn't know who it belonged to. It belonged to Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, so uh, as I said, look for the kernel of truth even in a horrible movement or horrible philosophy. And so even when it comes to horrible people like Franklin Roosevelt, and I'm, I'm assuming his terrible wife, but you can even find a great quote from her. Um, as always, the only way to deal with a negative is with a positive, or so, to deal with a problem is with a very positive solution, a positive alternative. And the only way to battle a bad philosophy is with a philosophy, a better philosophy, um, picking apart what's wrong with the outrage mob or what's wrong with the social justice mob and every all the fallacies they're engaging in it's it's it might be gratuitous and it might even be productive ultimately, but not entirely unless we have a full comprehensive alternative and um yeah, what else did you ask you were you're uh yeah there you go how there's, not there's... to
0: beat James tagar, but probably this needs more than this needs a many souls
1: it's a by having your values your personal rationally selfish values as what you're actually focused on so focusing on the negative and trying to address a negative will only get you so far um ultimately a philosophy stands or falls uh entire in its entirety which is why we need to be meticulous and treat philosophy like the heavy machinery that it is where every screw is fully tightened
0: I would say you should give the parting words, but these were good parting words. You think you can top that?
1: I can top it by saying, uh, thank you for joining us. And it's amazing, we, you, you, asked, you, said, you, you told me before we began that I'm the charismatic one. How can I be more charismatic than a, than a Greek with the, uh, with the voice of a titan, speaking of tightening? <laughs> this man is an actual titan. He told me start, and then how do I even know when we're live on the air? Oh, I don't get a notification. Yeah, well. You, you, you always need to plan for these types of things, and I don't even know when we're going to be off the air, which okay. is why I'm never going to say anything offensive, racist, or misogynistic, because that type of language does not belong on a recorded document. It belongs in private. I'm joking, of course. It belongs no All right. Thanks so, for joining us.
0: Thank you very much for joining us. We're back tomorrow with Raqqa for the Freedom Friday. The topic is a surprise or alternatively, we'll figure it out after we (laughs) finish the live stream. Okay, bye everyone. Thank you very much.